Hello, microbe friends. I'm Justine Dees, and welcome to the Joyful Microbe Podcast. It's the show all about the microbes we encounter in our daily lives. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to share this show with you. When you picture a microbiologist, what do you imagine? Someone looking through a microscope? Maybe someone in a lab doing research? In your mind, are they wearing a white coat? Well, microbiologists work in so many different types of jobs, and you might be surprised about some of the places you'll find them working. So that's why I decided to bring my friend Shelly Nauman on the Joyful Microbe podcast to share about the various jobs she has had as a microbiologist. So Shelly is a friend of mine, an internet friend. I met her through Instagram, and she... And I actually emailed back and forth after she subscribed to the Joyful Microbe email list. And we found out that we had very similar work experiences. And I absolutely loved her passion for microbiology. So I asked her to write a guest blog post, which she did on fungi because she loves fungi and studied fungi in some of her research. And so her guest blog post, you can go back and find it. It's an introduction to fungi, the unnoticed heroes of the planet. And it's really awesome and kind of gives you a great broad overview of fungi. And so I just, I, we have actually become better friends. Um, We (laughs) just enjoy talking to each other on a pretty regular basis now. And I thought, man, She has so many great experiences as a microbiologist that I'd really love to have her come on the podcast and talk about her different jobs that she's had. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So she's had different microbiology jobs, including her current job as a hospital infection preventionist. She was a microbiology researcher. She was a water microbiologist and lab technician at the Department of Health in Kansas. And she was a food safety microbiologist at Smucker. And she was a quality assurance manager at a company called Reesers. We also talk about, besides the career options, we talk about how to balance working with pathogens on a daily basis with having a really big love for microbes. So as you know, Shelly works as a hospital infection preventionist, so she's dealing with the bacteria and fungi and microorganisms that make you sick, those pathogens on a daily basis. But at the same time, she really still has a deep love for microbes, and she talks about that. And also, Shelly started out in undergraduate research, which I did as well, and we talk about how important that is and how it's a great experience for anyone who's interested in going into research or going into a science career. And then we talk about at the very end how we can enjoy microbes and recognize them in our daily lives and how we can do that kind of as a little activity. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and let's get on into the interview. All right, Shelly, thanks so much for coming on the Joyful Microbe podcast. 
Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. So why don't you start out and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Shelly Nauman. I am a microbiologist slash infection preventionist currently for Stormont Vale Health, uh, a hospital in Topeka, Kansas. Okay. And so as a an infection preventionist, what does your typical day or is there a typical day? What does a typical day look like? Um, or a few examples of things that you do in your sure. job. What does it look like? Sure. So um, unfortunately, right now, my day is filled with the coronavirus. Um, so I assist doctors and nurses with uh, caring for the COVID patient um, along with all their symptoms. So once they're uh, ventilated or intubated, I keep track of their infections and how they're doing. Um, of course, there is more to my job than just COVID. I am over the NICU microbiology. So any trends that I start to see uh, between the NICU babies, because they're all preemies, of course, uh, we like to watch that and make sure that we are not a source of contamination or the environment that they're in is a source of contamination. I also uh, report all reportable conditions to the Kansas Department of Health and Environment and the CDC. Um, I also keep track of catheter-associated urinary tract infections for the hospital. Uh, so whether that patient is on the COVID ward or um, delivering a baby, if a catheter is involved, then I um, do surveillance for those. Okay. So it sounds like you see you're kind of overseeing lots of different potential infections that could go on in the hospitals and making Absolutely. sure those things don't become big issues. Correct. Um, so how did you get interested in starting a career in microbiology? So um, I actually, when I graduated from high school, I went to college to become a nurse. And so I started my college career taking the usual classes that everybody takes. And of course, general microbiology being one of those classes. I had never looked through a microscope before. Uh, so the very first lab, we're sitting there and we're preparing our slides, usual gram stain. And I looked through the microscope and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this mm -hmm. is the coolest thing I've ever seen because <laughs> you need a microscope to see it. You can't see it with the naked eye. And so I thought to myself, there is this whole world that is completely uh, unseen without the aid of this microscope. I want to know more. I want to see more. And I immediately decided right then and there that, um, I mean, I'm in healthcare now, but that healthcare in the, in the nursing field was not where I wanted to go. I definitely wanted to be a part of microbiology. And so that's where it started. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel like for, I mean, I, I had similar experience of just really loving the microscope, but then also when I would teach students um, about 
the microscope and, and them getting to see it for the first time, seeing microbes, it, like we looked at bacteria and getting it into focus and then just seeing their faces light up. Yes. It was, it's so amazing. I love seeing other people have that experience as well. Oh, absolutely. It's like a light bulb turning on. And I experienced that as well. Um, I taught general microbiology lab for a semester as an undergrad uh, at K-State. And so helping my peers to see this, what I consider a a very beautiful world, um, and just watching their face, it was Mm -hmm. one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know it's so exciting to share that with other people. And they And it is, like you said, it's this unseen world. And most people probably don't get to actually see it. Correct. And then finally seeing that under the microscope. And I think one of the things that I like to try to share on the blog with people is that you can get a microscope and it's a lot more affordable than I ever thought um, initially. And you can get like really simple microscopes and still see microbes. And so I just love that, like that it's accessible. It truly is. And, and I know that in society, unfortunately, it's, we only talk about the bad and there Mm. is so much good that comes, Mm -hmm. uh, with microbes that I wish. And that another reason why I support you and, and support, the blog and now the podcast is I want people to learn about all the other aspects of microbiology, not just the ones that are taught in the medical field or the ones that are talked about every day, um, because unfortunately it, it scares people. And really, you know, if everyone just, I wish everyone could take general microbiology to learn that microbes help us more than they do hinder us on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I kind of want to hear you talk about that a little bit. Like, what is that like to kind of have those two things in your mind, especially as your job is focused on pathogens, the things that make us sick and the kind of bad microbes that are famous, but there are actually you know, a small number of them in comparison to the ones that are, you know, either not hurting us or even helping us. And so I kind of want to hear what, how do you kind of balance that in your mind of thinking all day about the bad ones, but then you really like have this passion for microbiology and you love microbes and appreciate them? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I would say I, I love fungi and I love bacteria. They are, quote unquote, my two favorites out of the microbial world. Um, and, you know, being inundated right now with coronavirus, it it's nice to step out of that coming from a background of environmental microbiology. Um, mm-hmm. My background is mostly microbial ecology. And so bringing to the table and bringing to light, you know, individuals in healthcare tend to get complacent and think about the microbial world only as germs and how can we kill the germs? How can we control the germs? And so just having a daily conversation with nurses and doctors about um, environment of care and aspects that they might not have thought about, um, that 
um, we don't need to just be on this rampage of, of destroying them, but learning to live with them in our environment as well. Um, and so talking about opportunistic pathogens and, and why certain things, um, happen to some individuals and, and others not, um, and just seeing that we can hopefully build that knowledge so that the first thing that's thought of is not, okay, how, how do we kill it? Um, instead, learning to live with it. Um, and something I've always wanted to see with the medical field, and this is part of the reason why I've chosen to work in it currently, is that my hope is the long-term goal is to assist those that have worked in healthcare to hopefully use microorganisms to their benefit. Um, and maybe one day we can hopefully get to a point where instead of using antibiotics, for example, to kill a pathogen, maybe we can use a um, commensal or I guess a, a symbiotic microorganism in order to fight that infection. That's mm -hmm. my hope. And that, and that's where I'd like to see it go. Um, and I think people are coming around to that, but right now in healthcare, the focus is so detrimental that, um, you know, in the long term, I'm hoping out of this, people will educate themselves a little more and seeing it every day in the news and on social media. And it's almost the only thing that anyone can talk about. Hopefully mm -hmm. those of us that are in a position to discuss it can do things like what you and I are doing right now and have this conversation with each other of, Hey, they're not all bad. Um, and then yeah. actually bring that to light a little bit. So. Yeah, that's really good. You mentioned opportunistic pathogens, and I kind of just want to circle back to that and make sure that sure. we define what that is and also sure. kind of explain how that um, those particular organisms are an issue in what you do. So an opportunistic pathogen, it's basically an organism. I say, I always look at it as it's sitting on the fence. So if mm -hmm. you are an individual that... Uh, for example, you have some kind of lung disease or, you know, COPD, emphysema, something like that, uh, or cystic fibrosis. You are an individual that can easily catch a microorganism that may not be harmful to a person that doesn't have a lung disease. Uh, so that can include fungal infections, bacterial infections, viruses, that to a quote unquote normal person or a person that has, um, that is not immunocompromised, they will fight off that infection and not even know that they've come across it. An individual that is immunocompromised, these pathogens or these microorganisms, I should say, um, can cause disease in those individuals. Okay. Yeah. That. That makes sense. And um, I studied an opportunistic pathogen. Yes, when you I did. Pseudomonas. <laughs> Pseudomonas originosa. And yeah, it's one of those kind of nasty ones that I'm sure you encounter in the hospital. Yes. 
But I will say uh, from from the other side of that, uh, being a person, Pseudomonas is actually my favorite bacterium um, <laughs> for the reason that it smells like grapes. Have you experienced that smell? That's that's I always thought it was like grape gum, grape bubble gum. That's that's what it reminded mm-hmm. me of. And yeah, I don't know grape. why, but yeah, it was my it was my favorite. Um Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It would get to where it kind of really smelled funky though, too. And oh, I feel yeah. like in in the beginning, um at certain times whenever I would grow it, it would smell kind of almost like Fritos or corn (laughs) chips, you know? (laughs) So it's funny how it can kind of be different sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how these, these organisms have specific smells that they make and, um, kind of talking about smells. Some of them are good and some of them are really bad, but, um, absolutely. (laughs) But there's there's really good ones like Streptomyces bacteria. They make the smell that comes after rain, which is called Jasmine. Yes. I and love that smell. Yes, I mean I, <laughs> I I don't know if I've ever met anyone that doesn't love that smell, and and it's just all the more delightful that it comes from um, the microbes that live in the soil. I love absolutely. it. Absolutely, me too. Yeah. Um. So, okay, I don't want to settle something with you because sure. it seems like there are lots of different ways to say the word fungi. Ah, yes. <laughs> Fungi, <So>. fungi. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so actually, about I use both interchangeably. Um, <laughs> I was told once, and and I do honestly believe this. So when you're trying to say any microorganism's actual mm-hmm. name and including <laughs> fungi or fungi. I've always been told if you say it with confidence, it really doesn't there matter you how you say it. So right. I just go with that <laughs> and and I'm like, okay, so who's gonna question it? I mean if That's if right. we're you know if we're gonna be that um you know detailed or or petty, I guess, about how we say it, then I think we just kind of get into the weeds of something that isn't important. Um, So yeah, if you just say it with confidence, I think you're, you're good. Um, And I've heard so many, (laughs) I've heard so many people say it every single way you can imagine. So um, I like both and I use both. (laughs) I like that. And I like that it's kind of like, hey, you know, you should feel comfortable talking about science. And if you mispronounce something, nobody cares, you know, and if exactly. they do, they're jerks. So. Exactly. Nobody's <laughs> going to hold that against you. Um, yeah. Or at least I wouldn't. So yeah. never. Yep. We're talking yep. about science. You can say it however you need to say it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times we've read these things and we've never actually heard them said out loud. Like the word geosman, I heard someone pronounce it differently. So maybe I say it wrong because I've only really read it and then heard it out loud after having read the word a bunch of times. And yes. so I think that's fine. <laughs> um, so, okay. Tell me a little bit more about the different topics that you've um, worked on in your other jobs and um, what you've done as a microbiologist, kind of starting back from the beginning and then moving forward. So um, as an undergrad, I was extremely um, fortunate to have not only some really good professors um, 
but I actually worked for the microbiology department for K-State for over two years. So I made all the media, um, prepped the microorganisms and grew the microorganisms for the students, which was just amazing. I I would Mm -hmm. push anyone that is um, an undergrad or even a graduate student to work for their microbiology department just because Mm -hmm. you get um, introduced and you get to work with so many different awesome things about microbiology. So I worked for the micro department. I also um, did research as an undergrad. I actually, um, I took biology of fungi from R.A. Jamponin, the fungal ecology professor there at K-State. And I bugged him for an entire year before he allowed me to do undergrad research in his lab. Um, So when I finally got into it, I finished up a project that another student had already started looking at um, fungal communities on bur oak tree leaves. So, um, which basically just seeing how that community thrives and how fast it grows. And what Um, does that look like? So believe it or not, I went into it thinking that Uh, obviously that fungal communities would build upon themselves the older the leaf got. Uh, It turns out it's actually the opposite of that. So I took samples from when the leaf actually budded on the tree all the way to day 30 uh, past bud. So you see like signs of the fungus? No. Uh, So we actually did uh, PCR and gel electrophoresis to and gene sequencing um, to see who was there. Mm. Um, And so I would cut out these little centimeter, I think it was like six centimeters maybe in diameter samples from these leaves that I had to collect every day. Uh, from six different trees around Manhattan, Kansas. Um, And so I would analyze all of those. And it turned out that the organisms right before bud or right after bud, I'm sorry, um, through day 30, it, at first there were all kinds of fungal um, symbiotic relationships happening. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, the competitive competitiveness between those organisms, so some would die and the others would thrive. And by the time we got to day 30, there were approximately five different species that had taken over those leaves mm-hmm. and, and survived. Hmm. So, so totally the opposite of what I was expecting um, because I figured okay, they're in the environment longer, these leaves are hanging out, they're getting the sun, they're they're near the soil, you're going to have more fungal community by the time you get to day 30. And that just wasn't the case. And hmm. so um, with that research, I won an award. So I won the Travel Fellowship Award from K-State and actually got to present that research. I was the only... Um, undergrad that was presenting fungal research at the uh, Mm -hmm. 
genomic mm-hmm. symposium in Kansas City, which was really awesome. So I, I urge anyone, especially undergrads, get involved into your department and keep asking uh, because eventually someone will say yes. Uh, if you mm-hmm. have the passion and the drive, you can do it and it, it's worth it. Yeah, get so, into research. For absolutely. Sure. Yep, that definitely helps a lot. It helps you figure out whether you enjoy doing research and just kind of see what it's like. There's nothing like hands-on experience. Yes. So um, after I graduated from K-State in 2015, I worked first um, for Kansas University in Lawrence, Kansas, as a researcher in a lab looking at antibiotic resistance Uh, with certain microorganisms, Um, typically Burkholderia species. So looking at the genes that are turned on and off when that particular organism is exposed to an antibiotic. And tell us kind of a little bit about Burkholderia. Where would we find that? And is it, um, you know, like what does it do? So you're going to find Burkholderia in soil. Um, It does cause a lot of infections for um, immunocompromised individuals with lung infections. So um, So it's one of the opportunistic pathogens that we were talking about earlier. Yes, it is. Um, So um, I did that for a little while. And um, I realized pretty quick that... I didn't really want to do research, or at least not someone else's research. Uh, Mm. Of course, if I had massive amounts of money and a huge lab all to myself, I would do my own. Um, But as any scientist knows, that takes a lot of money. So um, after that, I actually went to work in the water microbiology lab at the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. I absolutely loved that job. But as a backstory with that, it was a dream job of mine to work for KDHE. Um, Before I went to K-State, I had a um, summer internship or summer residency at K-State for public health. And one of the places that we were to go to tour was KDHE. Mm -hmm. I knew within the first five minutes of being in that building that that was exactly where I wanted to go. And so Mm -hmm. that was my goal once I graduated. So then that did take place. I worked at KDHE in the water micro department. So I tested all the water throughout the state of Kansas. That includes ponds, streams, lakes, all drinking water, and mostly looking for coliforms. So uh, Pseudomonas and E. coli included in that. Um, And that was probably, that was a wonderful job. I just absolutely loved it. Um, I kind of kick myself sometimes for leaving that job, but things happen and you progress. So uh, after that, I worked. I do want to interject real quick because I actually (laughs) did something similar. Well, it's funny though, because um, just as you go through the different jobs that you've had, I really have a lot of similar experiences. So, um, but specifically with even testing water, I did undergraduate research in a lab that would test water samples and look for coliforms. And Mm -hmm. um, 
So <laughs> it's just neat. Cause it's I like love done- that we're very similar. We have very parallel <laughs> paths. <laughs> yeah, very parallel paths. So it's neat to hear about um, the things that you did and you were in a completely different place. But these are all jobs that anybody with, you know, that's interested in going into microbiology can kind of consider and, and just see the diversity of jobs. And then, um, you know, Shelly will keep telling us more about different things that she did. But I think it's so neat that there's all these options out there that maybe you don't really know about. Um, Absolutely. Into your undergrad and stuff. um, If you are interested in microbiology and want to go into that, there, I didn't really know about all those different jobs that were available to me, you know, until I really started looking. So yeah, no one really ever tells you, you know, the first thing you think of, and when you say to someone, I'm a microbiologist, they think, oh my gosh, this person is like a genius (laughs) and they work at some medical lab or a hospital or, uh, for a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. And or they do this like so, high level research or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. so many different avenues and different things that you can do mm-hmm. that no one really talks about. Um, yeah. I and think it's, it's neat because I mean, is. there are manufacturing facilities and they have microbiology yes. labs. They have yes, to they have do. microbiology labs. And um, so I think Shelly, you'll probably tell us a little bit about that, but I also had a similar experience of working um, for a medical supply manufacturer and testing medical supplies for um, to make sure that the sterilization process worked properly. And um, so, yeah, but yes. go ahead. I just kind of want to interject about that and just talk about that these are different career options for people that are interested. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um So you were talking about manufacturing. I also have worked in manufacturing. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked for the JM Smucker Company, so the Jam and Jelly Company. Um, So (laughs) the food, yes, it doesn't have to be medical supplies. Exactly, it can be food, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and they really need micro people. So I'm just going to say now that that food safety is a big concern to so many people. And they do um, quality control or quality assurance in food manufacturing plants. And they need microbiologists because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are so many tests that need to be run before they can um, ship that food out to wherever it needs to go to get to our homes and our our tables and our families. And so, but they want to make sure it's safe first. Yep, exactly. And, um, in a previous episode, I talked to Matt Casson, and he talks about moldy Twinkies and um, and peeps injected with fungi and stuff. And he kind of touches on the idea of that um, these foods can spoil eventually. But, you know, talking about like working at Smucker and stuff, you guys are ensuring that these foods are not going to spoil before their expiration date and that you're the people that actually like figure that stuff out and then ensure that it's not an issue in those foods when they go out. Absolutely. Because food safety obviously is important. I mean, this is why we have best buy dates and best if um, or expiration dates on food. And that's how that's determined is, um, by doing this testing. And then of course, also 
ensuring that it's safe when it leaves our facility and all through the process. So from the very beginning, when you just have some ingredients all the way to the finished product, um, mm-hmm. microbiology is involved in every step of that. Absolutely. So you worked at Smucker and I, I guess I would be curious to kind of hear like what a typical day was like for you there. So um, there are, of course, FDA regulations that uh, food manufacturers have to follow. So it was my job to ensure that we were indeed doing what we say we do. Um, So a typical day I would get there and it would be, um, I had different locations in the plant. So whether it be what was called a zone one or a food contact surface. So whatever the food was touching all the way to approximately 10 feet out from the food contact surface, I had to swab those surfaces and make sure that they were quote unquote clean um, before, during, and after production or after, I'm sorry, after sanitation uh, Mm -hmm. practices were performed. So, um, I would start my day with swabs. Uh, Then I also tested the actual product while it was in process and different stages of that process at different times. Um, So that would require breaking down those food particles and then uh, through a stomacher um, and then plating that. What's the stomacher? So it's a, I guess I guess you would call it a piece of equipment. Um, it's a, a lab piece of equipment that it it works just like the human stomach and that you put particular chemicals in it to break down a substance into a liquid form from a solid. <laughs> um, so we would do that. Uh, there was also aflatoxin testing, which aflatoxin is produced by fungi. So uh, there was the use of corn and soybean and wheat and things like that in certain food products. And so when we would get a truck of wheat, let's say, um, that testing would be done before the wheat would go into our big grain bins and silos where it would be stored. And then before use, it would be tested again because there are um, parameters of you can only have X amount and usually parts per million or parts per billion um, for a particular amount of wheat or soybean soybean or corn that you were going to use. So I performed that testing as well on a daily basis. So it sounds like you worked with more than just jams and jellies there. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, What she would be surprised, a whole nother subject, but you would be surprised at how much Smucker owns. Everybody knows them as the Jam and Jelly Company, but they're a big, big, big company. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of food manufacturers are like that. You don't realize that this one owns this one, Um, but it's a Mm -hmm. it's a totally different world. I'll say that. So, but manufacturing is fun. Yeah. And then, so did you have another job after that in manufacturing? I did. Uh, I was actually the quality assurance manager for a little while for a company called Reesers. They actually um, make 
potato salads and macaroni salads, uh, ham salads. Mm. I worked at the salad, quote unquote, salad plant. They also do like burritos and and things like that. Um, So there are five of those plants uh, in Topeka, Kansas, and I worked at the salad plant uh, for a little while. So I managed over 20 individuals, over three shifts. Um, and I never saw myself as a a manager. I'm okay with being the lab rat. So (laughs) I, um, left that position and went back to Smucker for a little while and then realized that I I needed to do something else. It was time for a change. I did like food manufacturing. That's why I stayed with it for so long. Um, but my current position is, um, challenging and rewarding at the same time. So I felt obviously in 2020 with the pandemic that as a microbiologist, I felt it was my duty to help. Mm. And so that's why I'm where I'm at now. Yeah, that's really neat. So um, you said that you at Reesers that you guys worked with salads. Were there Mm -hmm. any kinds of salads like the kind that we hear about outbreaks in? Absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the mayonnaise or the mustard portion of that is what, I don't want to say it it gets you in trouble, um, but it's the portion that you really have to watch the micro part. Uh, and then any vegetables that go into salads like that, whether it be the potato or the celery, carrot, et cetera, um, you have to make sure it goes through a particular wash uh, to keep microbes down throughout the entire process. And as everyone knows, it has to be cold, right? So once you get um, to room temp, well, it doesn't even have to get to room temp, but above freezing, um, that's when microorganisms like listeria and salmonella really like to grow. And so, um, again, making sure in that manufacturing environment that the equipment we're using is clean and that the food throughout the entire process stays clean. Did you ever have any weird situations where you dealt with outbreaks or um, things that maybe had appeared as though you were dealing with an outbreak, but it was all like not that big of a deal. So, um, I wish I could talk very frankly about that. Uh, but because, um, it's quote unquote, I guess some things are available to the public. Uh, you can always read about things like that, um, on the FDA website, but there were a few instances that, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, what is happening? What happened? Um, So I can't give you details, but I will tell you that um, there were a few times that a particular ingredient would come to us and it would already be open or um, (laughs) the truck that it came in wasn't set at the right temperature for Mm -hmm. that item. Uh, And so in those instances, you have to basically just scrap it. And you have to say, you know what, this is not safe for for consumption, and we have to literally throw it away. Uh, that did happen quite a bit. Were those things 
you guys kind of discovered in the lab where you were the ones that noticed it or was it brought to you after there was already a concern? So both of those would take place. Um, in a big manufacturer like that, you have like leads and supervisors that are overseeing that process. And then you have the individuals that are actually mixing or um, cooking the potatoes, et cetera. So um, it would be both of those because samples were taken all shifts, you know, at all times uh, for what would be finished product. And then, of course, um, what we called raw ingredient testing. So if anything, let's say these these potatoes, for example, came back and they were above temperature of where they need to be when they're stored before they're used, but after the cook time, then uh, that would just immediately be thrown away. So we temp- you have to temp things all the way through the process. And if it ever reached above a certain parameter, then it was not allowed to be used. So it, was, it could be very stressful, um, yeah. especially if you need, you know, thousands of pounds of cooked potatoes and you only have two. So, um, you know, with manufacturing, it can be really stressful in that way, but you also feel good at the end of the day because you know, you aren't sending out anything that could make anyone sick. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so what were the tests like that you guys had to perform? Like, did you get a sample of the, certain lot that was about to go out or something you had a just like a certain number of samples that you'd have to test and then what were those tests like um did you have growth media that you would put the food in or how did that look you had yes, the stomach so, I think you mentioned Is, was yes. that part of that yes um so we would have certain media that we would put just a little slice of potato on um and then, of course, in, in the smucker world, you just took a little tiny sample, um, maybe the size of your fingernail, and you would um, streak that onto growth, growth media, depending on what you were searching for. So you would use what's called selective media um, to search for particular types of bacteria and or fungi. Um, that are typical in what we see in the food environment. Yeah, that makes sense. Whenever I was testing medical supplies, we would get a hundred out of the lot that was going to go out after it had been sterilized um, by radiation. And then we would take them and drop them into some liquid media. So just mm-hmm. some like food for bacteria and liquid form and, um, or for um, fungi. And and then we would let them grow for 14 days and we would see what would grow in there. And um, and of course it, it was a little bit boring because you wouldn't see stuff grow very often. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's that's a good thing. That means Which everything's working. Thing. Yeah. That's what we want. But at the same time as a microbiologist, so you have that curiosity and you're like, I just want to see something weird growing. And and, and usually if you saw something weird growing, it was because you contaminated it yes. yourself. <laughs> yes. Almost every time. And you're like, oh, that was me. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so that's something that you have to kind of be really careful about um, when you have these types of jobs too, is that you're 
you have to suit up with like a hairnet and you know oh, yes. a lab coat and gloves that go up your arms and then use lots of um you know like alcohol to oh, spray yes. your hands your gloved hands and <laughs> i use and- so much bleach and alcohol during my time uh in the manufacturing world i there were days that i would just come home smelling like bleach um <laughs> because it was just it was a part of everything that you did and trying to keep everything in that aseptic world and and using aseptic technique it just becomes second nature so yep and then we're <laughs> this is kind of like a weird particular question but at my job we weren't allowed to wear makeup um ah, so mm-hmm. were you allowed to wear makeup at yours <laughs> so no uh you could not wear makeup you had to have your fingernails trimmed to a certain length. I believe it's a eighth of an inch. Um, and then, of course, I even wore gloves. But even though I was wearing gloves, I still had to adhere to that rule. You also cannot uh, wear any kind of perfumes in, the ma- in food manufacturing. So obviously, you can use deodorant, but you can't spray your, your favorite perfume or cologne on you before you went to work or while you're at work. Yeah. So, so it is interesting to have and these are just kind of like really different jobs that you <laughs> and you don't even think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. But anyways, it's so interesting. Um so so what have you learned overall from your different jobs about microbes in our daily lives? So um I've always been very aware uh because I'm extremely passionate, as are you, I know, and I love that, um, about microorganisms in general. So on the daily, uh, I am constantly, since my background is mostly, or my interest is mostly microbial ecology, um, I am constantly thinking about the planet and our environment and how these relationships interact with one another. Everything from a tree growing to a leaf budding um, to even us digesting our food. Um, So yeah, I guess in my head every day, there's just this constant barrage of um, things that I, I think about and wonder about and maybe wonder how one is affecting the other. Um, I take daily walks. So that's, it's kind of my little exercise. Um, I love looking for microorganisms that you can see, of course, out in the environment. So if I'm walking past a stream or across a creek, I will actually look for, um, signs of microorganisms, whether it be lichen and moss growing on some of the rocks that are nearby or um, iron oxidizing bacteria that you can usually see in little pools or films on top of the water. If you see like a a rusty color and it looks, um, for lack of a better word, it just looks like this pile of goop (laughs) and um i i enjoy looking for that on the daily um so whether it and i take pictures of those um 
Also, as a as an undergrad, one of the things that you were talking about in the manufacturing environment about how if you didn't see anything, you were kind of let down. Um, building media or making media every day, I had to do that. That was one of my responsibilities. But the the other side to that is making sure that there weren't any contaminants in media that had been made previously. Mm-hmm. And some of the the most crazy. I would have never imagined that a, a fungal or bacterial contaminant would grow the way it did on some of the media. Uh, Can one you time, describe some of them. <laughs> yes. So this is the one that. Oh, there's two that stick out in my mind pretty heavily. One is this <laughs> bright pink, and I mean hot pink, mm. fungi back fungi that had contaminated some. Uh, chocolate blood auger plates Hmm. and it was just magical to me to see something with my naked eye that I knew was a microorganism that I'd never seen before I'd never seen a pink fungi before like how were you able to tell that it was a fungus so um well, I was told it was a fungus I never actually identified that um Mm -hmm. But my professor at the Which time is normal was, too, right? Right, and th- in, they're in usually the contaminant. Exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> you don't so, always identify them. Yes, and there's so many that look so much alike that the only way to say, okay, hey, this is definitely pseudomonas, or this is definitely um, any microorganism, is through PCR or genetics. Um, because they just look so much alike in the naked eye sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Another one that just blows my mind, it was, um, I believe it was a blood auger plate. Um, It was a fungal contaminant that looks like, I don't know what they're called, but back in the medieval times, that weapon that had the spiked ball on the end of it, Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it looks like. Protruding up from this plate, and there were several several of them, wow. but they had these spikes. And it just blew my mind. I was like, wow, that's that's what that looks like when you allow it to grow to something that I can see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just, I've always been fascinated by that. Why they grow the way they do, um, and how as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that you gave kind of a couple examples of things that you see that anyone can see. And then, of course, examples of weird stuff you've seen in your job. <laughs> That's oh, really yes. Fun. <laughs> and, you uh, know, once you start looking for microorganisms in your environment and around you, you can't stop looking. You know, once you've mm-hmm. known that it's there, it's kind of like um, if there are any mushroom lovers out there or mushroom hunters, they know exactly what I mean by this. Because once you start looking <laughs> for it, you start seeing it everywhere. Yes. And even in just the most uncommon places, you know, on the mm-hmm. sidewalk, in the crack, you know, next time you're looking and you see some lichen there, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. Oh, and yeah, it's just, it opens up that world. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they yep. just become commonplace to you. And so that gives me that little bit of peace or joy 
I guess, on a daily basis by searching yeah. for that in my environment. I love that. It's kind of like you start to have this new lens that you look through. And even though not yes. all of them are visible, they don't always like reveal themselves. You you start to kind of get to know where you could possibly see them or where they could be interacting. And then of course the ones that do kind of visibly present themselves like lichens. Um, and yes. it's like, you've got sunglasses or goggles on and you're like all of a sudden microbiology goggles and (laughs) it's like this new world and it's kind of I think it enhances life a little bit to kind of always notice those things when you're hiking and stuff I love that and I think um, so I was gonna ask you for an activity that um, everyone can do to experience the microbial world in a hands-on way. So do you want to kind of share about like how everybody can do that? (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, if you are a person that likes to get outside and since the, the weather is hopefully changing, at least it here, here it is in Kansas. Um, so it's getting a little warmer. If you go outside and you're near a body of water or you're near some trees, Start picking up rocks or or pieces of wood and looking underneath it. You can see fungal communities and um, bacterial processes and lichens and moss out in your daily environment every day. Um, So usually um, on the ground or under pieces of wood, attached to rocks, et cetera, you're going to find what looks like spider webbing. That is actually um, mycelium from the soil that is growing up and out uh, that connects all of plant life on the planet. Wow. So explain what mycelium is. So mycelium is this network of fibers or threads, if you will, that connects all trees, all blades of grass, all plants, anything that adheres or grows in soil. So uh, I've heard it mentioned that it is called the Wood Wide Web, uh, which I love that name. Um, (laughs) I've heard several mycologists and microbiologists use that term. And it's it's very, very fitting because, for example, um, mycelium that's underground talks or is the communication tool between trees. So a mother tree to her saplings that are growing around her and, and under her canopy, let's say there's some type of insect, or even fungal threat, the mycelium is the way that she connects and and talks to neighboring trees by signaling through that mycelium to them to let them know that there's a threat. It's pretty amazing. I think that is absolutely amazing. And it reiterates to me personally that everything is connected the whole planet and um, you know, how we treat one thing really is detrimental to that entire web. 
And um, it just, it makes me grateful, I guess, that we have all this beauty around us and underneath us every day that that we can see and not see. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I do want to mention um, that Shelly wrote a blog post a while back about just like an introduction to fungi and she explained some of that stuff. And it's a really excellent way to learn some of the basics about fungi. So if you want to go back, I will link to that in the show notes and you can go and check out some of the writing that she's done on the blog. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. I I love the fungi, so... (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um so I think that's a great activity and I think that can be really fun for people and hey if anyone wants to tag Shelly yes um, please you can do. do that. <laughs> do that on Instagram. You I welcome tell them your handle. Yeah, I welcome any form of communication. I do have an Instagram page and it's micro shelly one word. Um And you can tag me in any of your photos. Mm -hmm. I'll talk to anyone about microorganisms at any time. So I am open to that. That's awesome. So do you have any resources, books, um, websites, things that you would like to share with everyone that would help them kind of go deeper on this topic besides, of course, your blog post? Yes. Um, so it is a little sciencey, so it does have a little bit of the jargon, but um, I, of course, recommend anyone and everyone to get a membership to the American Society for Microbiology. They always have amazing articles um, and they do have student memberships as well. So I urge anyone to um, become a member of the ASM. And then also, um, I absolutely adore two mycologists. Actually, I don't think Merlin Sheldrake considers himself a mycologist, Um, Mm -hmm. but he has written a book that I would highly recommend to everyone. Uh, It is called Entangled Life. And again, his name is Merlin Sheldrake. Um, And so his book is one that I have read several times. And also um, a documentary that I would like to recommend as well, mm-hmm. um, Fantastic Fungi. And that is um, produced by Louis Schwartzberg. And I actually went to the theater to see that documentary, and it was amazing. It is the best, in my opinion, best fungi documentary I've ever seen, which includes an individual named Paul Stamets. Paul Stamets is a mycologist in, I believe he lives in Washington. He is doing a lot of, a lot of fungal research with bioremediation right now. Um, and he has several books on a website. So I would urge people to look up um, some of the things that Paul is doing. He also wrote a book called uh, Mycelium Running. So any of my fungi lovers out there, I highly recommend that book for mm-hmm. your use. So oh, That's awesome. Yeah. For that documentary, where can people go to watch that? So I believe it is on Apple TV. Um, it is streaming. I believe Amazon Prime might have it now. Um, you can actually go to the Fantastic Fungi website and quote unquote rent 
rent it or live stream it um, for a couple dollars. Or oh, cool. you can buy the Blu-ray, which is, I, of course, did because it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'll link to that in the show notes so that everyone can find those resources easily. Fantastic. Shelly, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today on the Joyful Microbe podcast. This was awesome. We talked about so many different helpful things. And um, I think people will see how you can have an appreciation for the microbial world and still deal with pathogens on a day-to-day basis. Yes. You got to find the good everywhere, right? So thank you so much for having me. And this has been my pleasure and any time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Joyful Microbe Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you'd like to help others who love microbes to find the podcast, then please leave a rating and review for the show. To learn more about the Joyful Microbe, head on over to joyfulmicrobe.com where you will find the show notes and all the links and resources mentioned. And if you go to joyfulmicrobe.com slash newsletter, you can sign up and get emails from me every week and I'll announce the new podcast episodes and blog posts and new resources and hands-on activities that are available from Joyful Microbe. I also love to send cool things that I find that are microbiology related online. So I'll send you links that are from Joyful Microbe, but then also from other cool stuff, articles or whatever I find that I think you might enjoy. And I love when people reply back to my emails, so feel free to hit reply anytime and tell me about what you're up to, what microbial thing you found this week, and I'll definitely reply to you, as I did with Shelly. And who knows, maybe we'll be new microbe best friends. Thanks again, microbe friends. Talk to you next time. Bye.